we acknowledge the Mamahood Maiwe podcast is recorded on the beautiful land of the Garner people, the traditional custodians of the land on which we work, parent, play and live. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community and pay our respects to Elders past and present and all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. beautiful mama and welcome to the ninth episode of mamahood my way the podcast welcome 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 all right i'm I'm starting high vibe just to ease you in gently this one is a little bit of a tearjerker it is a little bit emotional however in and amongst that there are lots of positive reflections i think that could be very helpful especially for mamas who are in the thick of it right now. This episode is for mamas who are in their postpartum and wondering why the hell they feel like they do. It's for the mama who is a couple of years on and is still thinking back to how hard and tough and difficult those first few months to a year plus felt for her. This episode is for anyone who wants to feel less alone who maybe have regrets about how they spent their postpartum or experienced it and wish they had done things differently. You might just find that there's someone else in the world who feels exactly the same way as you. I have popped in some trigger warnings, but I do want to also say that I do get a bit upset. And if you're not in the space to be listening to this right now, that is absolutely okay. I don't want this to be adding any sort of negative energy into your day. So you can just come back to this whenever you like, if you want to at all. All right, let's get cracking. All right, today's episode is a doozy, if I do say so myself. So trigger warning, we are going to be touching upon postnatal depression post-traumatic stress disorder, challenges during postpartum. But I really hope to bring a bit of a some positive inflictions on my reflections. This is going to be a new format for these sorts of episodes and we are calling it Overshare with Claire. I never think I actually say my name on the podcast. So if you come here by accident, hi, I'm Claire. I am the face behind or the voice behind Mamahood My Way and Overshare with Claire is going to be some reflections on my own experience to date. I'm 22 months into this parenting gig and I think the more we talk about our different experiences because they are so varied the more that we can help each other out. The more that we feel less alone the more that we feel that we are part of something greater than the loneliness of ourselves in this motherhood gig. The more we share, the more we can care. Genuinely believe that from the bottom of my heart. So that's what this new segment, which will probably pop up every month or so, I'm hoping. So today what we are talking about is postpartum regrets. I use the word regret lightly and probably as a bit of clickbait if I'm being completely honest because what I know to be true is that 
nothing in life is regretful. There is always a lesson to be learned within the thing that you perhaps would have done differently. And that is recognizing, ah, maybe that wasn't quite how I wanted it to work. Maybe I didn't approach that in the best way. Maybe I could have done things differently for a better outcome. So regret something is to wish that you hadn't done it. I don't believe that any of the things that I did are regrets. However, that's the way that we view them. And so that's that's the way that I will position this. And have 10 of them. And regrets, when I sat down to, to reflect on postpartum, reflections on postpartum came up this week in a very obscure way. So after two and a half years of living in a pandemic, most of us will have had or know people who have had COVID and hopefully they came out the other side with not too much, too many consequences. But my own mum has only just got it. Mum's mum's got COVID this week and it's been a worrying time. I'm thousands and thousands of miles away from her and she really has been hit hard and you know she's no spring chicken anymore and her husband is a bit older than her so obviously thoughts come up around their health and risks and just just want to be there right but it took me back to the place of the last time I felt like I really wanted to be with her wanted to be close with her and it was during straight after the birth of our baby boy and then the subsequent year where we were apart and it got me thinking about all the things that were fucked up about my postpartum my maternity leave and I saw something on Instagram this week that was like a little quote and it was basically like my maternity leave was fucked zero out of ten would not recommend like something like that it was so funny and so on point and made me think well why was it so fucked up Let's get into that now in case it helps any mum in the thick of their postpartum feel less alone, feel seen, heard, validated in all the feelings because discussions that I've had with my friends, it's a very common experience for new mums, first time mums feel this way and actually I think it's now becoming more common for us to really, for there to be struggles and you know I have my own views about why that is. No very few mums who found those first three to six months a breeze and enjoyable and the bubble and the da 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 despite what we see on social media because guess what isn't always true. Truth always lie in front of those cute little reels and snippets of baby snuggles and cuddles and sniffing of heads. So the first thing that I and I'll do air quotes here, regret I, my postpartum was the rose-tinted glasses that I had on from the start. I genuinely did not hear a single word that any friend said that was negative about those that first year. I know that things were shared with me, but I refused to hear it. I honestly used to see people struggling and I'd think, that won't be me. I am resilient, I'm quite independent, I do hard shit, I have control of my life. Little did I know, all of those attributes and traits are actually the thing that, the things that can trip you up in motherhood because being a type A control freak, B 
being like a high performer or high achiever, having functioning anxiety, being very focused on things, getting things done, taking action, not resting be the thing that trips you up, can be the thing that holds you back from actually surrendering to this time of your life. So I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared in the slightest. You can never be prepared for your individual circumstances, but I do think you can have a greater awareness if you're open to thinking about the more difficult, challenging stories. A lot of people are hesitant about that and that's not a safe space for them. And that if they know that, then they need to protect themselves from whatever they can to remain in a positive headspace. However, for me personally, it would have been very helpful for me to take off the rose-tinted glasses, actually smell the fucking roses for the foulness that was about to occur. I think the phrase that I would leave this particular reflection on is hope for the best and expect the worst. If I had done that, I genuinely think I would have had a different experience, at least to some degree. Reflection number two, I over-focused on the wrong things. So now I'm being very judgmental on myself and I will always caveat that with passion and knowing that I did the best I could with the information I had in the place that I was in at the time. We are always doing the best we can. However, on reflection, I focused on the preparatory stuff that looked like hypnobirthing and feeding patient. So I actually went to a course on hypnobirthing, which completely idealized birth. Um, it, it presented the birthing experience as something that you can control more than a physiological medical situation. I support in principle, there was no indication of things go wrong so no matter what you do and how you empower yourself and how you take control and you repeat these affirmations and you do your breathing and you get the music on and all the things that hypnobirthing focuses on it's more than mindset it is a physiological process and if your baby gets stuck if your baby tears you if your baby ruptures something if you have a hemorrhage if you la 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 and no amount of fucking hypnobirthing that can get you out of that situation. It's a medical emergency and you need intervention. That's where I think we're getting it wrong and we're not really serving mothers. We're serving up mothers false anecdotes to the over-medicalization of birth when actually there's no magic bullet for that. Hypnobirthing can absolutely be a tool and I would say that it was in a lot of ways during my um, latent labour phase and prolonged labour that I had over 72 hours. You know, when things started to go awry and I ended up on on the operating table, I tell you, it was the furthest thing from my mind. So full of drugs and I was out of it, to be quite honest. So... I think over-focusing on these things was a distraction from what was to come after the birth. And the other thing I over-focused on, which was definitely the aesthetics of the newborn phase, like the nursery and the 
the things that we bought, the pram, matching the decor, the outfits, like none of it fucking matters in S. None of it makes a fucking sense to those fucks. Interestingly, a reflection I had when Brody was about six months old was dressing him, dopamine dressing him, actually helped me recover. Um, so dressing him in nice outfits, dressing him in cute outfits and making an effort with how we both dressed actually helped me, helped me in my recovery. It helped me bond with him. Whereas in the first few months, I actually went a little bit to the opposite extreme. I had all the nice outfits, but I didn't bother dressing him in them. We just lived in like white cheap piece from Bethesda. And that actually didn't support me in connecting with them because I'm very visually stimulated like I am very much a sensory person so it was actually to have him smell nice and look nice and like I know that's a really random reflection but it is my truth and if you are also a sensory person then this might be something that helps you my partner's bank balance <laughs> on how much I spent on outfits and still do on things I would have done differently or air quote regrets is not hiring postpartum support so now I know the power of having someone come around take care of you talk to you listen to you without judgment without pity um just with pure understanding from the space that you're in um, someone to come and support you with meals, someone to just give you a cuddle who really gets it, doesn't leave what um, around me. And if I'd had someone that I actually paid for to support me, who was an expert in postpartum support, then I think I would have felt held in that time. I think I would have taken the pressure off myself Reflection um, number four would be insistence on leaning into what I would call toxic productivity. So instead of like entering that, I hate, I'm really triggered by this word, but the bubble, going into the bubble, relaxing into it, really understanding that this is a huge transitionary phase you know matrescent phase that we use to describe the becoming of a mother in all senses physically emotionally spiritually mentally and it's it's likened to adolescence as a transitionary period or phase and matrescence needs to gain more awareness we need to actually recognize this phase as it's as much for the mother as the newborn and we productivity looked like giving myself a list of things to do in the day um out at least once doing dishes while they were napping like I didn't really sit down and part of the reason was I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts so complex but I definitely went to the doing extreme where I was just trying to um, solve my problems by overcompensating through productivity and that was exhausting and it led to basically burnout very very early on and just fueled my um, postpartum depression 
made, I think, was over-consuming content online. I was following the wrong accounts for my style of motherhood. I hadn't really thought about the type of mother I wanted to be and I basically let myself be led by the content that I was um, king. And the content I was consuming was all very much based on, on yourself to be a certain type of mother, to be a gentle parent, to exclusively breastfeed, to have contact naps or to you know body or to you know I was following mums who had had a baby celebrity mums or influencer mums who had had a baby at roughly the same time and they were all doing a much better job as far as I could tell than I was so I was just continuing the spiral downwards I was really irritable with the content that I consumed and again, I say that with compassion because I didn't know any better. But we are in charge of that. We get to decide what we take in, what we absorb, what we listen to, what we does and what doesn't. And it's so strongly, and I'm actually taking a bit of a social media detox at the moment, just to really come back to who am I? What do I want to listen to? What do I want to consume? Because what we consume becomes our thoughts, our thoughts become our beliefs, our beliefs influence our actions and then that is our life that's how we go about our life so I'm really being careful and I continue to be careful to avoid what I call those shame sticks from accounts like that perhaps unintentionally um, by content creators but unfortunately they make a proportion of society feel less than less good enough less productive enough less motherly enough less whatever and you know that is on me not necessarily the content creator because it that you know who it does resonate and it does support not to engage with that um one thing that I'm really careful around still to this day is my breastfeeding content and anyone listening to this who is a friend who who shares their breastfeeding journey or their experiences or images I have had to mute because I am still um, not in a place that I can accept not accept the wrong word I'm not in a place that I am good with consuming that content I'm not immune I'm not neutral and until I am neutral then I'm not able to content and I said earlier when with regards to um, support and that is that I was all about the masking not asking I hid how I felt from the majority of people I would have emotional outbursts with family members and close friends but I always recovered quickly bounced back from that like the quick download I would never truly process my feelings and I would just, yeah, I would mask and I wouldn't ask. I asked for help in the form of meals at the start because I recognized really quickly that I didn't do for myself or my partner. Then I ended up not being hungry because I was so um, ill, mentally ill. But um, I didn't continue that asking. I didn't reach out and say, I really need help today. Um, is anyone available? I just I still to this day struggle to ask for help 
um, the last month for the gastric sleeve, I did ask for help and I pushed, I sought help, to, <laughs> I sought help on how to ask for help from a friend and then I wrote a message out to all my close friends and said, what I'd really appreciate in the first week is a visit and if you could bring a soup. And most people responded really positively to that and just asking for what I needed. In fact, people went over and above. Um, so that was a really big step for me to do that. But it's not easy, right, asking for help. It's a really uncomfortable place when you've always been so self-sufficient and when in the past you've been so let down by people. Uh, it's not a weakness and people want to help. Like I want to help other people so why the hell wouldn't they want to help me number um seven was my insistence to push through i just was so adamant i was so adamant that i had to keep going i determined to breastfeed and it got to critical point i have spoken about that before but i will speak about it again no doubt because it was such a huge part of my postpartum Push through and what pushing through does is you push down the emotion you put a brave face on and that has to go somewhere the emotion sits in the body it sits there it it basically in some way you might not realize that you might not you might feel like it's a negative thing that you're just getting all my things and putting a brave face on but eventually that is going to catch up with with us all come out emotion be released and be felt and we know this from, you know, you only have to look at people around you and see examples of that, where people have just put on a brave face and got on with the thing that they feel that they should be able to handle. And I eventually did lots of things to release the embodiment that I had taken on through my grief and trauma. That's what it does, you embody that grief and trauma um if you don't process and move through these emotions so pushing through definitely would not recommend uh do like things we have to because we have no choice to get on with things because of the circumstances we're in we don't have the privilege to fall into a heap or break down um and we have to but eventually we need to earmark a time to come back to that we have to know and be aware that well, we haven't actually had a chance to process and deal with and receive support for the thing that we've struggled with. Knowing. And I think this links to the overconsumption of content online because I knew that things didn't sit well with me. You know when you read something or you see something and you get that little kind of twitch like, oh, that doesn't feel good for me. Well, that's your intuitions telling you that that's not for you. That's not the that's not the approach you need to take. That's not, you know, we all like different flavors of ice cream. Well, it's first to eat chocolate if your favorite is banana. If it is, you weirdo to be doing parenting to a certain standard. Like why why would we do that to ourselves when no other area of life do we do that? We all have different careers. We all choose different hobbies. We all like different food. We all have different ways of exercising. We all choose different friends. Like we, we make choices and decisions in every single aspect of our life. Yet when it comes to parenting, we somehow fall into this, 
mold we we accept that there's some sort of perfect mold and quite frankly it's bullshit it is in and we actually need to chuck it in the fuck it bucket and go what is my truth what does my intuition say i want to do this it's the first year of motherhood and i know differently now i know better now and and i think it's um really limiting the external influences that you have in your house in your home um who you meet up with i telling me that she shut the doors to her and her family for two weeks they just literally went into a little cocoon and when she told me that my and i wasn't pregnant at this point i remember thinking oh my god that'd be my worst nightmare like i i'm an introvert but i'm an extroverted introvert like i like people and to be surrounded by people but knowing what i know now and especially if you have what you feel like was a traumatic birth that is the best bloody advice I've ever heard for that two-week period. It's a game changer, or it could be. And it would have stopped those voices coming into my house and sharing the raw. I was like a sponge as well because I had no filter. Like, I was so damaged from my experience of birth that I didn't, I wasn't able to think properly. I certainly wasn't thinking for myself. I basically could have quite happily been told like go to the toilet now go upstairs get you know do this get because I was just in overdrive of all the things I had to think about now that I was trying to keep a tiny human alive so really protecting your energy um, around who comes in your home in those first couple of weeks I think I would definitely take that advice um, have my time again final reflection is a biggie so right there who gave birth during a pandemic I salute you I salute you and I also acknowledge my privilege in that we weren't locked down for significant periods we were able to come and go from each other's houses albeit in limited numbers for a long time but enclosed by and there were cafes and restaurants open and to be honest that was a lifeline for me on most days being able to interact with randoms in coffee shops and on the street and and just in public basically was a safer space for me than people actually knew however I am an expat in a foreign country thousands and thousands of miles away from my family and I with the red hot glowing fiery embers that fell out of my postpartum without my mum oh getting a bit getting a bit teary this is I think it's the first time I've actually felt that lump in my throat on the podcast but the moment that I realized the impact of not having my mum um with me and and beside me during what was the most difficult um time in my entire life and i took myself a two night retreat when brody was five months old and during one of the sessions um i emotions that i have ever experienced in my life i thought that the trauma of the birth was what was weighing so heavily inside of me and my ability to be the mum I wanted to be but actually it was being done from 
the woman who had modeled motherhood to me from the woman who was my best friend felt safest with in the whole wide world her there was now it's hit hit her and hit her hard but it brings up a lot of, of feelings around what what we went through and to the mums who are listening to this who also live in different countries to their families or who have had to go through pregnancy and childbirth without their mum without their mum in their pregnant belly or holding their newborn Odie when he was a baby and I know I'm very very grateful and privileged to even have that opportunity that some people are still waiting to be reunited my heart birth pregnancy and birth during the pandemic like we are a new generation of mothers an inbuilt strength that gone through and many haven't you know it's going to be a gift time it is a gift because that resilience doesn't come without that kind of pain that resilience doesn't build and we are we have been so strong for our kids and our families and we should be so fucking proud of ourselves for navigating that time and look I genuinely need to come back to how lucky I was to have the family that I did have in my partner's family and and the ability to leave the house away from the fact that art pill to swallow right now so episode in floods of tears I promise you I just really want to thank you for traveling through that overshare with Claire um if you did um I imagine I have probably caused a few damages and I apologize for that um get anything but absolute raw authenticity and just you know heart on sleeve because I have so many emotions the last 18 months and this is time to really speak up about about mamahood my way what that means for me now and this is all part of how I got here to be able to stand in my light as the mother that I truly want to be which I feel like always a work in progress but it is even the cathartic nature of recording this episode I can't tell you how much it has shifted emotion just allowing myself to have the big the big outpours so thank you who enjoyed this I would be so grateful for you to hit you on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to this podcast it would mean the world to get this out to as many mamas as possible maybe not this episode if if they're in a, a sensitive place but um you know I'm usually all about the high vibe and that's what I'll be bringing next episode I promise if your ears I want to give you my week my darling mamas and that is something to support your mood your energy and your well-being um and to you every single time someone walks into my bedroom it is the comment is fuck me it smells like a ballet spa in here smells like a retreat smells divine and I can tell you that is thanks to essential oil blend 
So a company called Vasi Virgin, which is at the Sipplesfield Winery, they make lots of beautiful soaps and candles and bath products and, and kitchen products. And they have this essential oil blend, which is sage, patchouli and geranium. So it's called the kitchen diffuser with essential oils of sage, patchouli and geranium. Uh, so it lasts for ages. for another episode my lovelies thank you so much for being here and having me in your ears it honestly means the world if you're feeling particularly generous today i would love you to hit subscribe leave a review or why not come over to instagram and say hello in the dms until next time mwah. <laughs>